Welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. John takes on big theology. He takes on big doctrine. There's a historian. His name is Jerome. I know this is very important to you. He says of the Gospel of John, I quote, John excels in the depths of divine mysteries. John takes on the most complex of theological topics. He just explains them in a way that relates to you, to the reader. It's not about the masses. It's about you. And he speaks to you. John is not writing just to talk about theology. John is writing so that you may know that Jesus has come to you today, right where you are, wherever it is that you are. He's come to you today, just as you are. Because we also have this thing when we come, we come and we visit a church and we're like, well, I don't know if I dressed right or if I talked right or if I drank my coffee right or if I sat in somebody else's seat. Yeah, we start thinking, well, I'm not the right person to fit into the kingdom of God. And John says, I don't care who you are. I want to introduce you to my Lord and Savior. No excuses. But I don't have the right haircut. Doesn't matter. I'm not the right color. I don't have, I don't have a church background. I wasn't raised in church like Brent. I was not raised in church at all. Doesn't matter. John writes the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. John portrays Jesus as more than a historical superhero. Yes, he is God's son. He comes into the hearts and the lives of those who put their faith in him. It is that simple. Those that he loves so much that he would give his life to them so that they could have eternal life as well. John's gospel does not begin by proving Jesus is the Messiah. John's gospel, if you're familiar with the four gospels at all, starts off incredibly unique. He doesn't begin with genealogies or Old Testament prophecies. John goes, he begins at the beginning of time. He begins as far back as we can possibly comprehend. So here we go. We're on John chapter 1 now. Are you ready? I hear your Apple iPhones opening. Yeah. One of my favorite passages, I talked about this a little bit last week, just because it's good. He says, John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, in the beginning. Does anybody know what that's familiar from? Have you heard that before? Genesis 1, 1. Very good. Good job, Larry. Yeah, Genesis 1, 1. It begins in the beginning. John begins where? Oh, you guys are doing good. Thank you. It makes me feel good. Yeah. In the beginning, the Word, we're going to come back to that in a minute, already existed. The Word was what? With God. Now, the prepositions are important here. With tells us where, right? He is with God, and the Word was God. So we have in the beginning, before there was light, before there was heaven and earth, way back before it all began, the Word already existed. Now, the Word 
word is capitalized here because it's a proper name for Jesus. And you're going to say, well, Brent, how do you know that? Because the text tells us later on. We'll get to it. Trust me. Okay? John tells us who Jesus, because he's the word, John tells us who Jesus was hanging out with in the beginning. And you got to get your imagination going here a little bit. In the beginning, the word, picture that, Jesus, was with who? God. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, triune God, just hanging out. What do y'all want to do today? I don't know. We are already exist in eternity. We can do whatever we want, how many ever times we want. Let's create something glorious. And Jesus says, I think that's a good idea. Let's do that. Jesus was with God. I get ahead of myself because I get all excited about the story. Then John tells us who Jesus was before he left heaven to come to earth to live and die. He tells us in John chapter 1, and the word was God. See, we have this triune God where there's three and there's one. Like, Brent, we don't understand it. Well, sweetheart, if you understood the, the finite parts of God, then you need a bigger God. We don't understand everything about God, and the triune God doesn't fit into our physics. It doesn't fit into our physical world. You know why? Because he's spirit. So it doesn't fit. doesn't make sense. But we have Jesus was with God and Jesus was God, and that's good. John takes us from the beginning, from eternity past... From, from where the, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, right, in Genesis 1-1. He takes us all the way back to the beginning, where the star of this story was with God and was God way back then. And John's going to take us to Jesus who lived with man, died, but now is alive again. Jesus who is God but is also man. Here again, stumps us. How can he be God and man at the same time? Jesus, who is almighty God, almighty God, but is also wounded and is very touchable. Jesus, who is not a faraway deity, he's very present and he's very accessible. So we have God from the past, Jesus from way back in the beginning, not much of a figure, not, to, not much, we just don't have any definition. John's going to bring him to you today. In John chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus has, has died, he's been raised from the dead, he's alive now, it's this time between the resurrection and before he, he ascends into heaven, the disciples are gathered and, uh, they, they, and, and they told Thomas that they had seen that Jesus was alive. Do you remember this story? And Thomas does what? This isn't the Thomas that sang a while ago. This is a different Thomas. It's important to clarify. Yeah, Thomas says, he tells them, if you're going to look it up, it's John 20, verse 27. We're going to put verse 27 on the, on the screen here in a minute. Thomas tells them, I won't believe, because his best friends come and they say, Thomas, we saw Jesus. He is alive. And he says, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. 
put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound on his side. This is a man that says, show me the evidence. I'm not going to believe just because you told me, because I don't believe you guys. He just proved that. I don't trust you guys. I don't trust the disciples. I don't trust anybody's word. Prove it to me. Thomas says, I won't believe until I touch Jesus's nails, the nail scars in his hands, until I touch the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were all gathered together. These are the men that God has commissioned. I talked about last week. These are the the powerhouses of the New Testament. God says, here's the gospel. Take it to all the world. And you know what? They're in this house, and it tells us that the doors were locked. Why? Because they were scared. And suddenly, Jesus was standing among them. And ironically, in a locked house with a bunch of men who think that the Roman government's about to come and get them, suddenly somebody is standing in the middle of the room, and he says... Peace be with you. (laughs) What? I need a change of pants. Peace. Man, that was too late. Peace be with you, Jesus says. Then he says to Thomas, man, can you picture this? Because Thomas knows. He already told his his good friends, I'm not going to believe until Jesus is here and I touch him. Jesus shows up in the middle of the room, scares the pee waddle out of everybody, says, peace be with you, and everybody goes, yeah, right, man. And then Jesus turns his eyes to Thomas. And you know at that moment, Thomas is like, oh, Jesus knows. (laughs) He knows what I said eight days ago. And Jesus says to Thomas, he doesn't tell him peace. Be, he doesn't tell him to to be to have peace anymore. He's, he's terrified. He says, "Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side." Are you picturing this, Thomas? Man, thirty seconds ago, he's like, "You guys are liars. You're saying that you saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you are liars. That is not. It does not fit into my physics." It doesn't fit into my world that a man can hang. I saw him hang on the cross. I saw him bleed. I saw the soldier jab a sword into his side, and I saw blood and water flow. I was there whenever they wrapped him up and put him in the tomb. He was there for three days. Dude, I know. He was dead. Dead people don't come to life. You're telling me that he's alive? You guys are lying to me. And now Jesus is standing before him, and he's saying, Thomas, touch me. Here's the proof. You need to know that this is real. And then he says to Thomas, this disciple of Christ, this man that should be filled with faith and power because he walked with Jesus. Jesus says to Thomas, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Dude, when the Son of God leaves heaven to come stand in your face, grab your hand and say, touch me here, You better believe, boy. Yes, sir. Jesus says, Thomas, touch me. See that I really am alive. See that I really am standing here with you. Doubt no longer, but believe, Thomas. Believe that God 
has sent his very own son to live and to die and to be resurrected so that your sins may be forgiven and that you may have the right to become children of the eternal living God. Thomas, believe. Believe, Thomas. There's no room for doubt anymore. Here is the empirical evidence standing right before you. You're touching the proof of the risen Lord Jesus. It's a good story. John tells us about a Jesus that comes from Genesis 1-1, before time began, to your heart right now. It's pretty cool. He is God, but He is personal. He is touchable. When we pray, it's not a long-distance prayer. It's a very short-distance prayer. He hears the cry of our hearts. In John chapter 1, verse 14... We're going to go through this later on, verse by verse, and we'll, we'll take time to break it all down and just be real expository about it. But for today, we're just getting the, hitting the high points. This is one of my favorite uh, verses in Scripture, along with the other how many ever thousand there are that are my favorite too. Uh, verse 14, he says, now, now picture what's going on. We just, we just looked at verses 1 and 2, that in the beginning, the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, so we know what He's up to, we know who He is, and then we have verse 14, so the Word became human. Jesus, God, uh, this, this deity put on a man suit. So the Word became human. He humbled Himself put on the flesh of humanity, and made his home among us. I can't help myself. Here we go. Where he says he made his home among us, it's the word uh, that the Old Testament used for tabernacle. Tabernacle was the temporary dwelling. So basically, John is telling us that God, this deity, left heaven to basically camp with humanity. This is a temporary place for him to be because home is in heaven. He's come and he's going to camp with us. He's going to dwell with us. He's going to make his home among us to bring, I talked about this last week, His kingdom, His glory, and His character, He's bringing it to share it with who? You. Yeah. It's temporary. This is not forever. He came with a plan to leave. Yep. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen, here's our empirical evidence again, we have seen John, the youngest disciples, walked with Jesus, saw the miracle, saw his crucifixion, saw his resurrection, saw him after the resurrection. John says, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Wow! The Word became human. This is... This is God's master plan of a right relationship with you. Again, people tell me, we get on these little pity parties, well, God can't come to me, I'm not good enough. 
God can't come to me. I'm not smart enough. God can't come to me because, well, Brent, you don't know what I've done. And I'm telling you, God's whole plan of salvation was to meet you. Well, I thought he was just coming to the whole world. He is. But specifically, he's coming to you. His master plan for salvation was to leave heaven, become a human, live, die, and be resurrected on your behalf. He is not just some cosmic force that theologians and scientists theorize about. God's plan was for the eternal living God to become human, to humble himself and become flesh and blood just like you and I, so that we could see him and we could see his glory. You do realize, I know that, uh, so I grew up in church and we weren't, we weren't really encouraged to think outside of the box. So you grow up thinking there is only one way that God could have created this plan, and that is through Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what, God is an infinite God. And he's all-powerful. So you need to realize that God very easily, and sometimes I think he should have, could have spoken your salvation into existence just like he spoke light into existence. Just like he said, light be and light was, he could say, Brent be cleansed and Brent would be cleansed. Jesus, God the Father, would have saved all of the frustration of leaving heaven to be human. Can you imagine that? I mean, uh, on an arrogant note, I don't even want to stay in a cheap motel anymore. You know, I've kind of come to an age where I can afford to not stay at Motel 6, and I don't want to. So if I can stay in the Super 8. You know they give you your own coffee pot, and you can just... I always drink both cups. Uh, and then I tell Diane they didn't give us any coffee. Uh, my point is, you get to a certain level of, you get used to a certain level of luxury, right? You want to step down? No. I mean, it's kind of like, once you've had Rodolfo's, do you want to go to Taco Bell? <laughs> Not right now. You understand, Jesus didn't have to die and be resurrected. God created this whole plan for your salvation, for your salvation to show you His glory. If He just spoke it into existence, you wouldn't see His glory. But the way He did it, He wanted to come right to your, your heart and say, this is what I lived for, this is what I died for, this is what I resurrected for, and it's for you. If he said light be, salvation be, we'd just be like, yeah, well, whatever. But it's not that way. Jesus came to earth, he became a human, and he made his home among us. He lived like you and I live. He ate kind of like we eat. He didn't have green chili, but you know. Uh, he worked like you and I work. And while the Word was here among us, He demonstrated, this is pretty incredible, you have God incarnate, God comes to earth, and while He's living here among us, He demonstrates God's unfailing love for who? For us. Yeah. He demonstrated God's 
faithfulness to us. Just get your brain around that for a second. In Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, we see the character and the nature of God the Father. We see the glory of God in Jesus' life here on earth. Jesus brings the bubble of heaven to earth so that we get a glimpse of the glory of God and an invitation to join him. The purpose of the gospel of John, here we go, we're towards the end. Don't say amen right there. <laughs> I don't know if Rodolfo's is open on Sunday anyway, so y'all are, you're out of luck. Several weeks ago, I said something about uh, this not being a, an exercise body, and later I'm like, oh, I wish I would have said this is a tostada belly. <laughs> it was a funny joke then, it's not as funny now. Anyway, the purpose of the Gospel of John, I have a tostada body, ooh. Yeah, I don't know. My wife likes it, and I'm fine with that. Like, I'm sorry, dear. There's guys that like vegetables, not me. All right. I like guacamole. All right. Uh, the purpose of the Gospel of John. Stop dinking around. You guys pay attention. So when John wrote his Gospel, are you with me? We're back to the purpose now. When John wrote his Gospel, there were already three expert accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So Why? Why did John feel like he needed to write another gospel account? Well, John was thinking ahead, and he tells us explicitly why he wrote another gospel. So we're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, and I'm going to read this very carefully because this is kind of the key verse, the central verse of the book of John. Now, always whenever we go through a book of the Bible, we find a key verse that kind of pull everything else centers around and goes back to. So here we have John chapter 30, where it says, Jesus' disciples saw him do many other miraculous signs besides the ones recorded in this book. Got it? John says, listen. This is the short version. This is the, the summary of Jesus' miracles. But, verse 31, but these are written. These are written down. These are put onto paper. You know how whenever we tell stories, sometimes they change from one person to the next? We have this thing in my family where one person says, I'm hungry, and then somebody else goes to Diane and says, Dad says we're going to Subway. The story changes. John says, I've written these down because the pen and the paper don't lie. I've written these down. These are written so that you may believe, so that you may believe. These things have been written down so that you may, what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Old Testament word for Christ. The Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life. And the New Testament uses two words for life. One is zoe, one is bio. Bio is physical life, zoe is spiritual life. So whenever he says, by believing in him, you will have zoe. You will have eternal life. You'll have God's spiritual life. John is focused like a laser about his intentions with writing this book. He is not writing to give us his perspective. He doesn't say, to all of those who are going to read this, this is my thoughts about Jesus. No, 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 no. He is writing so that you, so that everybody, no, you 
John is writing so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in him, you may have eternal life. John wrote this for you. Side note, we're okay. Brent, it's the gospel. I've read the gospel before. I know the gospel. Sweetheart, I have preached the gospel. And the first, the gospel of John. I loved preaching it the first time. But I'm going back and I'm looking through uh, the book of John and I'm reading my note from back then. And I told Diane this week, I'm telling you, the gospel of John is more alive in my life than it was 10 years ago, 14 years ago, however long ago it was. I don't do math very well. It's more alive. So just because you're familiar with the book of John doesn't mean, well, I'm excluded from this study. No, 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 no. Because the word of God is living and active and is sharper than a double-edged sword. And it is going to radically transform your life. This last week, I had a conversation with a person. And uh, we were just talking back and forth. Not a person in the church, just a person in the community. And they were convinced that the Bible is complicated. And it's difficult to understand. And their conclusion was, because this is difficult and the Bible's uh, complicated. There is a lot about the Bible that we just cannot put our confidence in. We read it, and we were specifically talking about end-time events, which is one of those things that, if you know me very well, I'm like, listen, there's no chart in my Bible, so all of you who have got this figured out, the chronological order of eschatology, whatever, I don't know. I don't know if you're right or wrong. doesn't really matter. I know that Jesus is the one. He saves us in the end. That's why we have the book of Revelation. Get over your silly chart. So the point of the conversation was we have no confidence in Scripture. And that may be true in, in eschatology, but it doesn't matter what you believe about end-time events. They're going to happen however God makes them unfold. Oh, man, I just made a bunch of enemies, huh? Because some of you are like, well, I have the chart. My chart is correct. God better follow my chart. Shut up. All right. Sorry, I forget we have visitors. <laughs> I actually told the congregation last week, you guys, please be on your best behavior next week. And then I'm the one that acts like a child. In all of our universe, in all that we live in today, in all the media that is in our world, in all the information that we receive all the time now, we need to know, everyone say no, that there is one source of absolute truth that is rock solid, that you can count on, that you can put your confidence in, and that you know it will be faithful every time. John says, I have written this down so that you may believe. Not wonder, not question, not be like, eh, I don't know. Nope. He writes it so that you may believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It is not complicated. It is not up for interpretation. It is not difficult to comprehend. John has written it down so that he saw, he wrote down what he saw with his own eyes so that you can believe in the Lord Jesus. I skipped over it, but there in chapter 1, verse 12 says, so we have, in the beginning was the Word, and then verse 14 we have, and the Word came and, and uh, lived among us, but between, verse 12, he says, to all who believed in Him and accepted Him, talking about Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God just by believing that Jesus is the Messiah the Christ, our Lord and Savior. That 
is as simple as it gets. John wrote to us so that we can be confident, so that we can know, so that we can believe to the very depths of our being that God loved you so much that he sent his son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the truth. Let's bow our heads together, and I want to pray for all of us. Father, we thank you for your word that guides us in our lives, guides us in in our thinking. Father, I, I thank you for your word that guides us to you so that we can find you. Father, I thank you for the freedom that we have in this country, that we can publicly and openly worship you and we can preach about you. Father, as we study through the Gospel of John, I ask that your Holy Spirit will work in our minds, work in our hearts. Help us to confidently believe that Jesus absolutely is the Son of God, that Jesus is our Savior and that he is the forgiver of our sins and that he is the only source of eternal life. Father, our confidence is in you to grow us into your likeness so that your glory can be seen in our lives. Let us live so close to you that our lives testify of your glory and of your grace. Lord, we give you all that we are. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We would like to invite you to come be a part of Desert Heights Church. Service is every Sunday morning at 1030. You'll find us at 1835 East Main, next to Arby's, here in Farmington, and on the internet at desertheightschurch.com.